You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello and welcome to episode number 569, pause for you to say nice, well done, of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell. My guest this week is Robin Bradford. Robin Bradford and I have known each other for a very long time and Robin has a new book, The Reader's Advisory Guide to Romance. So we're going to talk about what Reader's Advisory is and how she teaches libraries to welcome readers looking for romance and to introduce romance to readers who aren't aware that it is something that they might like. Robin talks a lot about book covers as marketing devices on Twitter. So, of course, we're going to talk about the evolution of romance covers, summer book lists from schools and the media, and different online sources for book discovery. Robin also gives library workshops to other librarians, and that workshop is about diversifying collections. So we talk a lot about that experience as well. Most importantly, we talk about how you can support your library. Robin has suggestions, so get ready. Hello, and thank you to our Patreon community. You make the show possible. Thank you very much. I have a compliment this week for Lisa B. Grammarians and linguists have decided that the plural of you is a superlative of Lisa's. If you would like a compliment or if you would like to support this here podcast, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 and every pledge is so very, very deeply appreciated because it keeps me going and it makes sure that every episode has a transcript compiled by a person, not an AI, a person named Garlic Knitter, who I've met is a real person, I swear. Every episode is accessible because of your pledges. So thank you very, very much. If you would like to join, patreon.com slash smartbitches. All right, you ready to talk library? We're going to talk library, books, covers, reader's advisory. Robin is one of my favorite people to talk to, and I'm so glad to share this conversation on with the podcast. 
I am Robin Bradford. I am a collection development librarian in Washington State. I have done collection development for a very long time. Um, I've been a librarian for a very long time. I've worked in libraries for a very long time. Do you ever look back and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so old. How did this happen? Yes. How, how have I been here Constantly. so long? Constantly. Like what? Constantly. But the actual reason I've asked you here today is because you have a book. Tell me about your I book. Do. Congratulations. My book is the Reader's Advisory Guide to Romance. And it's part of the Reader's Advisory Guide series that um, ALA, American Library Association, puts out for different genres. Um, the purpose is to help libraries who kind of get a little shell-shocked when people come and ask them for help on a thing. Um, and to even if you don't read it, to help you know how to situate that thing, whether it's romance or mystery or YA or graphic novels or whatever, how to work with that in your library and how to work with that with the people coming in to look for it. So it's part, how do I help people coming to the desk? And part, how do I showcase it when people aren't coming to the desk? So it's not just, hey, I want a romance to read and you are going to come up with recommendations. It's programming and displays and, exactly. and you know, tables full of seasonal books. Like it's about to be summer reading. There's going to be a lot more exactly. romance and women's fiction on the table. If you don't know much about that genre, this book is going to help you as a librarian. Yes. So uh, I guess the third part of that would be, it's also a brief history, and I do mean brief, <laughs> of the romances that you see today. And also, you know, what's the what's the landscape like for romance and romance readers? So it's also trying to get people to maybe lose a few of the stereotypes that they have <laughs> about romance. Stereotypes and, about there romance are among there are librarians? <gasps> yes. And we're trying to maybe just... Uh, scoot that on out the door it's been too long and um to get people just to understand that even if you don't love it it's not your thing you prefer you know mysteries or whatever you can still help people and yeah. you can do that without making them feel ashamed for what they came to ask you for yes i have found so. personally that making a recommendation to somebody and then having them come back and say Oh my God, that was just what I needed. What else do you recommend? Because that was incredible. That's the best feeling. It is. It's it is. such a and good it's, feeling. It's also when people come in and they're like, yeah, it was okay, but I didn't like this part. Oh my God, good. Now I know not to give you marriage of convenience stories. Let's try something else. Yep. So I like all the feedback. Oh yeah. All the feedback. So reader's advisory is my second favorite term in the professional library world. My first favorite term? my favorite term is adult services librarian. That is never going to fail to make me laugh because it is so funny to my completely uh, immature soul. Yes. Yes. 
So I'm sad that, that you're me. not an adult, adults, adult services librarian. You're, you're in charge I of collection. I am an adult services librarian, but I specialize in collection development. And that's something I, that you've been doing on Twitter for, for 15, 20 years now? Since I've been on Twitter. Since 2009, I have done, because that, I mean, even then I was working as a collection development librarian. And your so job is just, to buy books for the library. Yes. My and you job would tweet is uh, why you're buying a certain book. Yes. Or, um, I mean, it started off kind of mean-spirited. I can't lie. Oh, um, never. Really? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know that. Or I don't have anything in common with that origin story at all. <laughs> I started off a little mean-spirited. You bitches have gone too far. Exactly. Yeah, we probably did. (laughs) (laughs) But we we quickly shifted to, you know, uh, making fun of of covers is fun, but let's talk about instead why this book that has a wagon wheel on the cover but says that it's a science fiction book maybe won't find its audience. Let's let's talk about that instead. And so it, it quickly shifted into, you know, why we're buying this, why, what the cover um, can represent. Um, you know, we tell people all the time, don't judge a book by its cover, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is that is how people first encounter your book. Yes. And so if you don't want, if you want your book to find its audience, then you have to put those clues on the cover. Yes. Absolutely. Not everybody is going to come by and pick it up just out of curiosity. If it looks like something they don't want to read, if something looks like it's a World War II novel, right. I'll probably keep walking. And, and if you notice lately, and I'm sure you have, there are so many books being released that look similar. Like there's all the book yes. blob covers and all of the book blob yes. covers. I don't know if you've, you're aware of this, but many of the book blob covers are by authors of color. Yes. Don't get In it. romance, that used to be a wicker chair or wicker furniture or, or a landscape. Flowers. Yes. Turgid castle. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, we don't want to put people of color on the cover because white people won't pick it up. And so now instead of, you know, wicker furniture, we have the very artistic blob, (laughs) the colorful blob. One of the things that drives me nuts about the, the illustrated covers is when they don't have eyes. I know this is a me thing, but I hate it so much. I don't understand so why some of them have tiny, tiny heads and really long arms and legs. Like, what's that? <laughs> I don't understand this style. It might even have a name. I still don't like it. It's We're trying to separate ourselves from all the other covers that look just like it. Okay, but give the guy some eyes, please. <laughs> please. I just saw one like 15 minutes ago, so it's fresh in my mind. And I'm like, that man has no please. eyes. No eyes. Is it a pop point or just artistic choice? And it's your look. They're looking right at you, and there's no face. No. Anyway, sorry. Let's get heated about books. Yes, breathe, breathe. (laughs) So, do you still do readers' advisory in person when you're at work? I don't because I don't work with patrons um, in that capacity anymore. Most of my readers' advisory now is for staff. That makes sense. And so helping them try to do displays or um, 
do book lists or mm-hmm. things like that um, so that they can then help patrons. It's almost book list season for summer reading for my high schoolers. Yes. And when I tell you those lists are so out of date, some of those books aren't even in print anymore. Yeah, it's one of the one of the things that, you know, once you make a list, it will exist forever. And sometimes people update them, but nine times out of 10, they do not. Nope. It's weird. It's really weird. So I do some lists. Uh, I do some lists personally um, for our overdrive page. And I get the temptation to just use last year's list. I get it because it's it's already done. Yeah. But there's a whole year that passed, you know. A few books have come out since then. A few books have come out since then. Robin, a few books you have come out since we started talking. No kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you don't have to redo the whole list. Add the new titles to the top. Yeah, just pick a few and shove them in there. So right. I didn't put this in my list of questions, but it occurs to me that as someone who shops for books for her job all the time, yeah. that you might have a really um, sort of unique perspective into what's happening in romance right now and what you think might happen next. Do you have any trend ideas? Are there any things that you've noticed or any things that are pissing you off? Like, you know, heroes that don't have eyeballs on the cover? <laughs> um, one of the things that is a little irritating right now are the illustrated covers that kind of speak to rom-com that aren't rom-com oh um and so people looking for that level of lightness or humor that just Mm -hmm. isn't present in the book and people are getting a little bit you know unhappy about what they perceive and i don't know if the perception is wrong that all of those covers should be light and rom commy or you know if it's something else but that's what people perceive it as rightly or wrongly well i mean the marketing of those books under underscores that the if i search my inbox for rom com i will get hundreds of pitch email messages from the past 3 months because everything that's contemporary that has a slightly zany aspect is now called a rom com and I don't quite get this from a from a reader perspective because, first of all, romantic comedy movies have different beats and tropes than romance novels. They're not quite the same medium. They have things in common, but they're not the same. And the things that play really well in a rom-com movie, I don't like reading about. And also, comedy, very hard, very difficult, very difficult. And a, a measure of comedy relies on the actor, for me. Of course. To- make that funny. And so it's much, much harder in a book where I don't have, like you said, I don't have any background on the person. Like, I don't understand why this is funny. This isn't funny. You're like, where I'm supposed to laugh here. This is supposed to be, you know, the meat cute or Mm -hmm. whatever. But to me, it just feels like secondhand embarrassment. I I, I can't read it. The other thing that pisses me off, the other thing that pisses me off, is all of these books that are based on premises where if the characters just had some boundaries, the book wouldn't exist. (laughs) 
Like, remember when people were talking about erotic romance and like, well, what's the difference between erotic romance and erotica? What's the difference between erotic romance and a really hot contemporary? Well, with erotic romance, if you take out the erotic elements, the book falls apart. It's a foundational element to the plot. Um, that I get. But when you have characters who just don't have any boundaries and that's why they're in the situation that they're in, I'm like, I can't like, okay, so you inherited your uncle's failing business and you have to save it. But why? Like, what if you don't want to? What if you don't want to be an accountant? Just like, say no. Just say, say no. And you have to, you know, you have to do this stuff for your family. Okay, but what if you said no and they dealt with their own shit like adults, like they are? Like, there are so many zany families where no one has boundaries. I'm like, this is stressing me out. Well, and, and a few years back, um, it was not having conversations. That was the that was the thing. It's like, yeah. if you guys just talked about it, this book wouldn't exist because you would have seen this and he would have seen this and they would have done this and it would have been two chapters. Yeah. But instead, nobody had a conversation nope. and we got 25 chapters yeah. until they had their conversation and then the book was over in chapter 26. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in terms of um, trends... I mean, witches are still huge and they have taken over kind of the illustrated landscape. I'm sorry. Of- I, I really wanted more witch books and I kept talking about it and I feel like this is partially my fault. Also, we haven't yeah. run out of witch puns in the title yet. That's no, And I don't. I don't feel that we ever will. We're never going to run out of witch puns. It's a, it's no. a bottomless, bottomless source of joy. It is, and people love them. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying there's lots there's, of them. There's a, there's a lot of them, and I. And it's um, interesting to think about, like right now, witches are inherently stories about women grappling with power, and we are at a time yes. when women's power is being diminished yes. and people's individual rights are being diminished. So, it. I mean, I love escaping into a story where an ordinary person is the most powerful person in the room and can like burn it all down. Well, and the funny thing to me is that these are, at least the ones that I've seen, on the lighter end. Yeah. And for me, because of what's happening, I don't know why they haven't taken this dark, angry turn yet. Think that's coming soon? Okay. I wonder. Rage romance. I wonder. Rageful, vengeful witches romance. So what are some of your most effective methods for staying aware of what's new in romance? Beyond the, I mean, I know you get promotion and I know you get pitches and I know you you have many publicists who email you about things, I guess. But what are the ways that you stay aware of what's new in romance? Um, Twitter is huge. It's making me sad, Robin. It, it's, it's huge. Um, not like it used to be because so many people have fled, which I don't blame them. But No. Are you going I'm, down with the ship? You're just gonna go I'm down as going it down with the ship. Yes. Yep. Um but it's it's a good place to especially for self pub and indie authors to um celebrate themselves and also mm-hmm. their friends because yeah. these are things we don't get told about. Um it's really kind of sad. I tell everybody there's so many books published every month that you will never hear about. No one will ever send you an email. You'll never see an ad in a magazine. Mm -hmm. They just, but they're there and they exist and 
your patrons know about them because they don't care, you know, about all the New York Times bestsellers. They want to know about their specific thing that they love. Yes. And so they're following these authors. Yeah. And they're on Amazon and they're, you know, on email newsletter lists and things for their favorite authors. And Facebook groups. Facebook groups are huge book discovery channels, but they're closed. They're closed channels. You have to be admitted. It's not the same as like, hello. And I'm on a couple of those. Yeah. A couple of romance specific ones. Are there any that you recommend? The League of Extraordinary Historical Romance Authors. Upturned Petticoats and Undone Cravats. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that one's my favorite. Sweet Hot Curves for Romance Readers. Uh, Talia Hibbert's Hopeless Romantics. Right. Yeah. The thing that bums me out, and I'm sure you've noticed this, too, is that as Twitter collapses under the weight of its owner's ego, you you lose that sort of openness it's like the difference between playing a video game where there's one track and playing a video game where you can go in any direction with a with a with a facebook group with a mailing list even with a group that's multiple people that's still a closed you know channel that's still one particular silo especially if it's devoted to a particular genre or flavor whereas with twitter at when it back when it was good you could find lots and lots of people talking about books that you didn't know Yes. The discovery potential, if you if you knew how to follow or you knew like a few people to follow and then you could see who they were following, you could build a network of book people very, very quickly and just find out what people are reading. And it's different than being in a discord channel that's like, this is the romance channel. And I have to think, okay, what am I recommending? What am I saying? Whereas with Twitter, like, hey, have you read this? Because I want to know what you think. That was a completely different environment. I'm going to miss it so much. And so many people who were in different genres, because I also follow a lot of mystery and thriller authors and the the connections that they made amongst themselves through me was kind of nice. Like there's thriller authors reading romance now that may yeah. have not before, but they see romance authors talking and they're like, and then they join in and they have conversations and then here we go. And we've, cross-pollinated all the genres and it's beautiful and yeah I'm gonna miss it too so back to you how long did it take you to write this book I understand having done it myself how daunting it is to try to capture a genre that evolves hourly yes and when they asked me I, at first, I was like, mm, I don't want to do that because of that exact thing. Mm-hmm. By the time the book comes out, it's going to be out of date. And that paralyzed me for quite some time. Understandable. Um, oh, my I, gosh. For quite some time. I started this book in 2019. Well, and then we had a pandemic. Oh, a little bit. Um, yeah. So I could have finished, you know, early. I finished on time. It was due in 2022. I finished it in 2022. Um, Well done. (laughs) There were months when I was just like, I should be doing something, but oh my God, I can't do anything. Um, I really just didn't want it to be obsolete before we even started. And so I had to figure out a way for myself to think that it's not going to do that before I could even get started writing anything. And 
So that's how I came up with the idea of you don't have to put in the newest book for every little thing that you're talking about. Yes. Because by the time you get it, it's not going to be new. And no. that really was was stopping me. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to put in this book and it's going to be three years old by the time. Oh, well. Just relax. It's just going to be suggestions. I have so always this, said that a book that a reader hasn't read yes. is a new book to them. Exactly. Yeah. And if if it's an older book, maybe the library has it on their shelf and that is good. And they could use it in a display um, instead of, you know, these are all of the books that you should have about friends to lovers. And if you don't have these, then you're a terrible librarian. Meanwhile, you know, 200 friends to lovers books came out last month. Yep. So what are you doing? Yep. So I really had to push past, you know, it's going to be the most up to date, the newest um, titles that anybody could want for their library and just say, no, no, no. These are examples yes. of friends to lovers. Yeah. Please don't stop here. And I tell people how to find other books. I tell people that Google is their friend. Don't be afraid. A lot of librarians are, they look down on Google. Um, and I'm like, that's nice. But do you know romance readers love to make lists? Oh my gosh. It's so There's true. There's a zillion blogs that love to make lists. No, There really? are a zillion lists on Goodreads. Oh my please, God. Please, please, please. If you don't know a... Um, a trope or a subgenre, please Google it. This book will give you like, you know, five of friends to lovers, mm -hmm. but. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's a million the on the Google. There's a million on the Google. So please... And they're newer. Yeah. Because this book is printing now. It's not picking up the books that came out last week. Or in the last so 25 minutes. Google. Yeah. <laughs> please Google. So I, I tried to just hint at things, places to start, and then give them tools to keep going so that they can fill out those lists. Because you're not going to fill out a book list or a display with the titles in this book because there aren't that many. Right. But if you Google friends right. to lovers, Goodreads, May, 2023, Seattle, you might it's, find people talking about friends to lovers books published now that are set in Seattle. Like it's not unheard it, of. 
It's just exactly. a question. It's more of a question of um, sort of figuring out what terms a reader will use when they're yes. Googling. And ec- I mean, that's what just good. That's what good SEO is, right? Figuring out what terms yes. people are going to use. And that's that's what we do. Like we don't talk about tropes in in library land like that's just not a thing mm-hmm. um you talk about things like setting and theme and all of these lofty words that apply mostly to literary fiction and that's wonderful but when you're talking to romance readers talk about tropes and monster fucking which is a trope which is totally a trope. <laughs> so if you want to speak the language of the romance person mm-hmm talk about tropes. And so then we go through some of the tropes, not all of the tropes. And I wish I would have put more in, but that's what edition two is for. Yeah. So, but we, we talk about the main tropes and I help people understand that this is a way to search books. There are people who only want friends to lovers. Yep. There are people who never want enemies to lovers. And if you can understand that, that's A, another way to put together a display or a list, mm-hmm. and B, a way to talk to people so that you can get closer to what they actually want when they come to you and ask. Which is part of the job of being a librarian, right? Which is part of the job of being a librarian, yes. I'm going to connect you with the book that you want to read. Right. Or I'll order it and from if another you library know, if we don't have it. If somebody comes to you and you don't know anything about romance and they're like, I really love the friends to lovers trope. If you read the book, you will understand. Oh, I got it. Okay. Like these, right? Mm -hmm. Let me help you find some others. And what's so interesting to me in the way that readers have changed the way they talk about books and the language of books evolves with readers is that tropes are ways of describing some of the feelings you're going to get in that book. Because, you know, romance traffics directly in empathy. The book wants you to feel things. And it's a safe place to put your emotions. But tropes are ways of describing the feelings you're going to get. And I think one of the things that's so effective about book talk is that it's people acting and demonstrating how a book made them feel. And there was a lot of really shitty press coverage like, oh, if you cry about your book, it'll sell on TikTok. Well, actually, no, what someone's doing is portraying to you how a book made them feel. And if that's the feel you're after, we can go for that. Same thing with tags on fan fiction. This is going to tell you about the feels inside this story. You know what? That is very good. I will have to remember to compare tropes to tags because I think a lot of people who um, are internet readers Mm -hmm. understand tags oh yeah because this is how they you know ao3 and all of the i said this is how they are sorting their books yeah so when we say things like tropes they're like yeah okay if you explain it i get it but tags tags is immediately something that they are familiar with right like if i come to you and i say i just read a Hurt, comfort, nursed back to health, only one bed, mortal peril story. You're going to be like, oh, okay. Tell me right. more, right? Like I, you can break down, how is this book going to make you feel? We're all looking to describe the feel. And I think what's interesting about books that really take off, like Emily Henry, for example, that's a very specific feel. Like her books have a very specific tone and it's very insidery. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of have not there's a that. lot of book fluency, like talking about what books do in the process of 
the characters doing things, especially true with book lovers. And um, The Dead Romantics was very insidery. Did you read that? I did not read that one. Okay. There's basically the ghost writer for a romance author who's been straight writing this author's books for years is called in because the book is late. And the problem is she can't write it. She's got writer's block. And she meets her new editor who's like, well, the book needs to be here by the end of the month. Hey, stop fighting while I'm on the mic. Cats. Assholes. Um, The book is late. If you don't get it to me by the end of the month, we're going to end this contract. And the ghostwriter's like, okay, I can't tell this person that I write the book, but I write the book. Fuck, what do I do? And it turns out something happens to the editor and he is either in a coma or he's dead and his ghost starts haunting the ghostwriter. Oh my God. And I was like, okay, first of all, that even the first chapter is so much insider publishing, like somebody who worked in publishing wrote this book. I love this already. Yeah, it's super I, I'm wild. adding this to my list. Yes. I also think that there's a lot of books now that tie very tightly into pop culture. Have you noticed that? Yes. Yes. And, and I, I don't remember that being as true before. Like I remember historicals referencing children's books and historicals referencing song titles, but I don't remember them being deeply rooted in popular culture the way contemporary romance is right now. And I, I feel like a part of that comes from sports romance too, oh where you had, good point yeah you had sports romance that was you had some that barely referenced the sport and then you had some that went deep dive and i think i feel like the hockey romances especially were very like i can read a hockey romance i hockey was my pandemic sport so oh. i had watched it before but i really got into it during the pandemic right and so now I can read a hockey romance and see the level of love that an author might have for the sport because they are down to talking about line changes and yep. things like that. And I'm like, yeah, you're a hockey fan. Like you're, you're a real hockey fan. Fluent. You're not just like, oh yeah, he's hot. And I think hockey players are hot. hot. <laughs> we're not going to talk about hockey, but we're going to surround it with hockey, which is so different than some of the others. And so, yeah, I think people, when they are writing about or setting their book in a hobby or something that they really love, Mm -hmm. you get that level of it's permeating the whole book. I love that. Oh, me too. It demonstrates a high level of fluency into what, what they're talking about. And then you have books that are based on like celebrity stories. Yes. Or retellings of what could have been a celebrity love story that didn't end happily. Let's give them a happy ending. Let's give them a, yes. Yeah. Which, yay. Right. I mean, again, fan fiction. It, it, how much of an exactly, influence? Exactly what fan fiction used to be at. I haven't read any for a while, so I'm not sure if it's still that way, but we didn't like how this story ended. Oh, yeah. We didn't like how this played out. Mm-hmm. We didn't like, I think that I, want this character to do this. So I'm going to write it. Well, all of Olivia Dade's trilogy is a fix-it fic for Game of Thrones, Thrones, including the actors who got screwed getting happy endings. Like inside the book series are fix-it fics that the characters are writing. And then the book series itself is a fix-it fic. It was very meta. It's extreme meta. That's another thing. Extreme levels of meta commentary. It's so interesting to compare that to like the 90s and 80s 
stories where there is none of that. No, it is very much not of this time. Very different. Oh, yeah. Like if you read older contemporary romances, like say when an author like Jude Devereaux switched to contemporary. First of all, they're all wealth fantasies, which is part of the, you know, I think that's a historical element too. It's all wealth fantasies because let's face it, when you have enough money to pay to solve your problems, you got fewer problems. Um, But also when you're reading a fantasy contemporary world that's all white, it's very alarming. And I don't see as much of that anymore, which is really freaking good. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, now it's noticeable. If you if you see it now, you're like, how is everyone in New York City white? Where is this place? How? Right. How? How? Where? How is anybody, everybody in Iowa white? I understand it's Iowa, but there are black people there. No. There are Asian people there. It's very noticeable when you see it now. Yeah. Which is good. Amazing because we. How long are we talking about that? Yeah. Like 10 years. years. 10 years at least, easily. You know, even with publications like Library Journal, which used to do the, the, best black books of the year and it's like no and i yelled at them year after year after year and embarrassed them on on twitter until they finally stopped best black books of the year and and that would be books about black people books by black people i think it was fiction so maybe it was best black fiction oh because you know black authors couldn't compete with every other author in best fiction and it's like, are you are you, are you serious right now? Like when you talk about making book lists, if you make a list that is all white authors or and books that are all about white people, that's also noticeable. Yes, and um, so my friend Becky Spratford and I go around to libraries and we teach people not to do this. So she focuses on reader's advisory. I focus on collection development and we teach people what shouldn't need to be taught, but that you don't have to have all white book lists. No, you can actually diversify those book lists, not just for black history month or Asian American Pacific Islander month, which it is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You can put those books on a list based on what the book is about. It's perfectly okay. I know. And people act just like that. Like, yeah, like oh. really? This is a thing we can do? You mean you mean to tell me if it's a mystery where the protagonist is a trans character, we can put that on a mystery book list and not just a Pride Month book list? And if that uh, book is set in New Jersey, you can put it on a New Jersey book list too. And if it's, you know, hard, is it hard boiled? You can put it on a hard, don't put it on a cozy list. No. You can put it on a hard boiled list. Wow. And so we get, we get a lot of questions like, how is that not pandering? And it's like, well. What? what? Wait, I'm sorry. Time time out. So this is a, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Just uh, give me a second here. So this is a presentation, a workshop that you are giving to other librarians right now. In the year yes. of 2023, yes. In in this yes. con- this this contemporary world, you are giving this workshop about how to basically decolonize your lists. Yes. 
And people are like, isn't including people who aren't white pandering? Yes. How do I do it so it's not pandering? And you just do my answer it? Is, my answer is, if you put that trans book, that's hard-boiled mystery, on a cozy list, that's pandering. Because that is not what that book is about. It is not a cozy. You're putting it on that list because somebody told you, I have to diversify my list. You can diversify that list with other cozies, not with the book that doesn't fit the list. Right. That would be pandering. But to put it on a list where it fits is not pandering. You would be surprised the the questions that we get. Oh, God. You would do be you drink heavily after you do these? I did the first time. Okay. But now I'm used to it. And the, the scary thing is that get the same questions we've done it from coast to coast right now yeah. and we get the same questions no matter where people are Holy it doesn't cow. matter if they're in a big city in a small town rural urban we get the same questions one of my favorite questions is um someone had said a patron came in They'd been, you know, doing the things that we suggested and making displays and blah, blah, blah. And someone came in and said, but where are your regular people books? I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Yes. Where are your books with regular people? Wow. Yes. So I take it that librarianship is still, and I haven't been to an ALA in many years. I take it that a uh, librarianship is still a pretty white profession 86 percent 80 86 86 percent wow so you are often the only black woman in the room yes when you're doing these presentations sometimes there's one at the library that we're presenting to so i maybe i'm not the only one but oftentimes yes Ooh, oh how exciting <laughs> do. yes and do you and give so- each other the look like yeah, I heard that question. Did you hear that question? Yeah. Is there a whole lot of look subtext going on? There is a lot of, oh, wow. Huh. We try to make it not uncomfortable for people because we understand yeah. that, you know, we're here to basically take the brunt of your fuckery. But, oh, but also, you're, you're a guest. So that's going to give you a very thin layer of protection. Plus, you're from the outside and presumably somebody who wants to make changes brought you to do the workshop. So Right. And that's the other part. That's the other part. Like someone brought us in because they want to do this work. And so trying to make you feel bad about it is not going to... That's very counterproductive. Exactly. Exactly. But sometimes you do just have to take a deep breath. And Becky and I talk about these questions beforehand so that we're prepared. So we get the questions beforehand. We talk about them, how we want to answer them, but we also take questions in real time. I'm afraid to ask, what are some of the questions you've heard a bunch of times? (laughs) I'm afraid to ask this question. Well, because I knew you were going to ask. Oh boy. One of my favorite questions that we got, and this was from, a lot of our sessions are virtual, but this was from an in-person session where we were talking about, you know, it is possible to diversify most of the things. And somebody said, well, what about Amish romance? You can't diversify that. So should we just not buy it? I love when people give me gotcha questions. 
because wow, they really always, thought they owned you in that moment, they right? They really thought that they had me, and it's like, well, no, of course not. If you have people who love Amish romance, keep buying Amish romance, but you can diversify religious romance. Oh, and once upon you know, sometime in the future, there will be a more diverse Amish romance. It's just a matter of time. Everybody gets diversified. We have Amish vampires in space. You will have black Amish people. You mark my words. And when it come, when that day comes, then you buy the thing. <laughs> we have a question about where are the regular books? Um, where is my flag? Because a library had done all of the LGBTQ flags. Right. And someone had come in and said, where is my flag? If you bring in your flag, we will display it. But we understand. We also tell people, people are just trying to throw you off. Like when they come in and they say, where is my flag? They're just trying to make you uncomfortable. Like They're just trying to make you uncomfortable and to make you think twice about your display. And their feelings being the center of the moment, not like yes. anyone else's. And so don't let that throw you off. We get uh, one of the most um, questions we get, or one of the questions we get most often, what about conservative books? You're telling me to do all of this woke um, uh, diversity displays and buying all these woke books. What about the conservative books? Where are they? Where is that display? And the Again, we don't display books that are super popular. We're not telling you to display all the James Pattersons because does James Patterson need the boost? No, he does not. James Patterson does so, not need a library display. Right. So where are the, the conservative books? Well, you have Brad Thor, you have Vince Flynn. Those books are checked out. Yeah. You have Bill O'Reilly, Rush mm -hmm. Limbaugh. Those books are checked out. That's where they are. They're at somebody's house. They're not on display because they are already super popular. We're here to tell you to display the things that are underrepresented. Because that's going to increase the patron count in your library. And the more patron activity you have yeah. in the library, the more the library can justify the funding that always isn't threatened to be cut. Exactly. Do you want more human beings in the library? This is how you do that. That's another one where people think that. They really, they really got, got you with that one, because you're telling us to do all this. But where's, where's the books, you know, for the people that I like? Do you think we don't have Vince Flynn? Come on. We also get the question of, does it matter what percentage of people we have in our community that fit the demographics? So if we only have you know, 5% black population, does that mean that only 5% of our books have, and, and <laughs> this wow. is library wide. Rob, like, Robin, people, they're trying to get you with math. <gasps> people really want to only do the least, the minimum. And I always quote um, Justice Ginsburg, like when people asked her how many women on the Supreme Court are enough. And she said, when there are nine. Yeah. That's my answer to you. You will have as many diverse books as you can fit on your shelves. I don't personally care if they're all diverse. That would be fantastic. But no, we're not going to get into the game of, 
we have 7.6% Hispanic community. So that means 7.6% of our books have to be by a Latinx author. No, 25% of your books can be. And if you don't have a large population of whatever, whoever in your service area that they're seeing at the grocery store, at the school PTA, Mm -hmm. at the movie theater, at the library, then you might need those books even more. Yeah. So you might have a 7.6% population of someone. You might need a 50% because you're not seeing those people anywhere else. But if you start seeing people at the library and you start serving all of the communities in your library, then it helps your library. So effectively, your book is like a complementary accessory to the presentation that you're giving, because basically you're trying to decode for people how to build effective reading lists. Yes. So the book is specifically about romance. And we talk about the gamut of all the genres. But yes, it is, because we're trying to get people to understand what romance is yeah. and what it is not. Yeah. So there's a there's a very firm it has to have a happily ever after or it is not a romance. Yeah. And it's not about rules, it's about expectations. When people come and they're looking for a romance, they want to know at the end of the book it's going to be happy. That's what it is. And so people will argue, well, but Romeo and Juliet, or well, but Wuthering Heights, or well, but Nicholas Sparks. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. A love story is great. Mm-hmm. We love a love story. And if they die at the end and it's sad and we're crying, it's cathartic, wonderful. Not a romance. But if someone comes in looking for a romance, don't give them and that. And you give them dies at the end. We're- we're going to be mad. We're going to be mad. <laughs> and we're not going to come back to the library. Right. So that, so helping people understand reader expectations. It's not about, well, the rules say blah, blah, blah. It's If every reader decided, no, we don't care about that, the rules might change. Yeah, for sure. But the readers have not decided that. The no. readers have said, I don't care what they go through as long as at the end, there is happiness and they are together. Right. We honor that. Absolutely. Like we honor mysteries that are solved at the end. What? <laughs> what? If you give me a mystery and I don't know at the end who done it. Oh, we give up. Who I'm, cares? Doesn't matter. I'm mad. Yeah. So helping people to understand that part of it before we even get into titles and tropes and yeah. subgenres, just understand what is a romance and what is reader expectation before you do and the advising you have to understand the genre yes speaking of libraries and readers what can readers do to most effectively support libraries and librarians in your opinion right now write write letters call email about the good things that you're finding in your library. The loudest voices are usually the ones that are full of discontent Mm -hmm. and they want you to get rid of the thing or put the thing behind the desk so kids can't see it, even if it's in the adult collection. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you love that your library stocks erotic romances, tell everybody at the library. 
write the director, write the head of adult services, write everybody. Tell the staff at the front desk, tell everybody. Write um, a letter to your newspaper, put it on next door, <laughs> just put it everywhere Ooh, that next door. my <laughs> library is doing all of these things that I love. One thing my library has a great, um, great collection of is cookbooks. Yes. I love test driving cookbooks from the library. Me it too. is the greatest because cookbooks are yes. expensive and I don't have that yes. many shelves. Exactly. But if I borrow a book from the library and I PDF two recipes, good. Yes. I'm great. Yes. And that is definitely how I use the cookbook section as well. So tell people because there are a zillion cookbooks put out every month mm -hmm. and we can look at Cirque's, yes, and see like how are they doing? But if you tell everybody that this is how you use your library, mm -hmm. this is how your library is helpful to you in this way, they will buy more of the thing. I borrowed a book this week called uh, Dinner in One, which is all about making dinner yes. in one pan, one pot. Yes. I have, so you, when you, when you take a, put a book on hold, you get like the, re the receipt, almost like a, like a checkout receipt from the grocery store. It's on that same thermal paper. So I start tearing that into strips and I start marking the recipes that I want to try. And as soon as I get to five, I'm like, well, game on. Here we go. Yeah. This is one that I probably, you know, if I get the urge to check it out again or yeah. renew it, yeah. I need to go to, to buy the book. Yeah. That's, and given that cookbooks are minimum $25, $30 on the consumer end, unless you're buying them used. Yeah, this is this is brilliant. The other thing my library has is all the manga you've ever seen in your life. Oh my it just God. goes on for miles. It's just miles <laughs> and miles of manga, and it's just so friggin' cool. And, you know, again, millions and millions published. We can't buy it all. Nope. But if we know that there is a dedicated audience, there are people who absolutely love this because they themselves cannot buy it all mm -hmm. then that says to us oh there's an important aspect here that we may have overlooked in the oh my god there's so much but there are people who are relying on it mm -hmm. there are people who actually love it and not everybody is going to do a patron request yeah. but for the people who love it please tell us oh yeah please tell us so the so one of the most helpful things we can do is write to the people in charge of the library and write yes. to the county or town executives that are overseeing the budget to say, I just want to say this library is terrific. It is wonderful. Yes. I appreciate everything they do. Um, they never have enough money. You should give them more. Go to library board meetings. Just anywhere there are people who are in charge of something. Yeah. Um, who are always hearing about what you don't like. Yeah. We don't like that you have this book. And so we need the, the counterbalance to that. My kid found this book about, you know, bodily autonomy that was in the juvenile section. It's very age appropriate. And thank you for having this book. Oh, yeah. I had a librarian from my Patreon Discord, uh, Clay, did a whole workshop at their library about children's books that talk about autonomy and consent. Who yes. can touch my body? Who who gets to have access to me? That kind of thing. And did a whole reading list for me for Smart Bitches of young, middle grade, and, how, and older books that talk about consent for young people. 
this was not a topic when I was a child. This wasn't really a topic when I was raising my children. And they're 17 and 15 now. Yeah, I mean, and and to have, I just read earlier this week about some library that had complaints because of books about consent for children or books about sex or body parts or Mm -hmm. anything that we don't think kids should know about, even though they are owners of bodies. Yeah. Part. And that they have to learn how to basically pilot themselves through the world. Right. And how dare you have a book that describes in detail what they see every day. What I, to do when you don't want to hug a relative. Right. And and a book that says right. it's okay to not want to hug people. The amount of time that people spend complaining about that or trying to get it banned or trying, you know, to get it moved out of the juvenile section. Well, I'm sorry. It is a juvenile book. It is meant for the audience of people, you know, four to seven. We're not going to put it in the young adult section for 14-year-olds. So what books are you reading that you wish to tell people about? I'm sure you have no books, none books to talk about. None. Um, Currently, I am reading A Rogue's Rule for Seduction by Eva Lee. Um, I love this book. I love the series. It's book three. Um, I got it as an arc. It's out now. So that tells you how my reading is going this year. Um, <laughs> a little behind, are we? The, I'm reading the advanced copy of the book that's out. Yep. Been um, there. Been there. It's it's terrible and terribly embarrassing. And along that vein, um, Who Cries for the Lost by C.S. Harris, which is part of her uh, Sebastian St. Cyr series. That's a mystery. Um also, I got it as an arc. It's been out. Like, at least Eva's book came out this week. <laughs> this book has been out for a couple months. Oh, and yeah. I'm just now reading. And one that I'm um, kind of excited about that's going to be next up when I finish those two is called The Art of Scandal by Regina Black. Ooh. And I'm not sure if this is a romance or if it's general fiction. Um, the cover is very romancy, the clinch cover, in Ooh. fact, um, but in a very stylized way. So it could very well be general fiction. But I was talking about it on Twitter because I was showing the cover and somebody was like, the book is even better than the cover. And I'm like, OK. All I'm right. Sold. Thank you. I have a rec so, for you. Yes. You probably might. You probably got an arc. But one of my reviewers, Laura, absolutely frigging loved The Benevolent Society of Ill-Mannered Ladies. I have not read this. Okay, so it is um, a mesh of cozy mystery and romance. There are two sisters who are old maids, and they figure out how to get women, their contemporary women, like the women in their communities and around them, how to get women out of terrible situations and help women who are being blackmailed help people get away from abusive spouses. And one of the things that's interesting is that it has three different sort of little mysteries that the two sisters are solving, that there's overarching things because at one point they end up knocking a highwayman unconscious and then they figure out that he's actually someone quite uh, posh, bit of a, a, a lord. And so they rope this poor guy into their plot and they're like, well, you don't have a choice about it. So it's, 
amateur detectives who are spinsters in historical setting. I think you might really like it. I'm, I have it next to read because Laura just absolutely loved it. It reminds me a little bit of a Vanessa Riley book that I read not too long ago, where it was one of her historical romances. It was like the spy, the lady and the baby or one of Duke, one a of spy, those. an artist and a lie. I don't know if it was that one in particular, but it was one of those in that in, in that, that series. Vein. Yeah. Yes. And it was there was a character there that helps ladies out of bad situations. Yeah. Yes. So I was this this might be a thing that's that's come another trend that's coming. Women in very limited um, circumstances who are bound by social or economic or both restrictions, figuring out ways to get out from under them and help other women help who are caught others. there. Yes. Yeah. The idea of helping and having community is something that I love when I'm reading. One of the things, another trend that's that you, you said that it reminded me older ladies yes. is a trend right now. Oh, yeah. And across, across genres, older ladies in mystery, older ladies in romance. Yeah. And they are so underrepresented right now in media, period. Like it's all young, 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 youth, 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 youth. And really books, again, at the forefront of the of the media trend where, oh, we're we're murdering people (laughs) as as older women or, oh, we're solving mysteries or. Oh, we're actually doing both. Or we're falling in love with older men. It, it's it's it's, it's a whole what's trend. happening right now. I'm okay yes. with it. I'm certainly fine with that. Meets me where I am. Yes, old exactly. lady on the porch of the romance, old folks home. Rock, rock. rock exactly. Rock. Where can people find you if you wish to be found? <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter mm-hmm. at two flows. T-U-P-H-L-O-S. It mm-hmm. means blind, um, which I am. Or Instagram, same handle. Those are the places where I'm at the most. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you, Robin, for hanging out with me and talking about all the library things. Remember, if you want to support your library, let them know how much you love what they do. And, you know, write to the people in charge and tell them how awesome they are. I will have links in the show notes to everything we talked about, all the books we mentioned, and some of the Facebook groups she brought up as well. So never fear. Smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast under episode 569. As always, I end with a terrible joke, and this joke comes from JF Hobbit in the podcast Discord. This joke originated with someone on Twitter named Sean Fay, and it's brilliant. What do you call it when you let a mad woman stay in your attic? What do you call it when you let a mad woman stay in your attic? A or B and B. <laughs> it's so bad. I love it. <laughs> ah, thank you, JF Hobbit, for sharing that joke. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcast. How 
you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.